right, good evening everybody. Welcome, my name is Keith Dollar. I'm the lead pastor here at City Church International. And we're so glad you're here. I'm excited about digging into the Word with you guys tonight. We are going to read from Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Uh, for this week and next week, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. And tonight I want to share with you all a message entitled, uh, Gospel Effects. And we're going to talk about how the gospel affects our lives, how the gospel changes our lives. The big idea is simply this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ leads us to a place of surrender and it leads us to live lives that are separated to God and it leads us to transformation. And so in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul unpacks the gospel message uh, Douglas Moo, a commentator, respected commentator and theologian on the book of Romans, says this about Romans. The book of Romans is Paul's grandest exposition of the gospel. The gospel unleashes God's power so that people, by embracing it, can be rescued from the disastrous effects of sin, being pronounced righteous in God's sight and having a secure hope for salvation from wrath in the last day. So in Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is unpacking meaty gospel doctrine. Uh, he starts off in the first couple of chapters talking about sin and, and in the end of chapter going into justification uh, by faith through Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus. And he starts unpacking the gospel message. And then in Romans chapter 12... Paul switches his, his tone here. He goes from, he goes from doctrine in 1 through 11 to, to Christian duty, gospel doctrine to Christian duty. And this is something that the Apostle Paul did uh, in the book of Colossians, in the book of Ephesians, as we're going to see here in a couple of weeks. We're going to start uh, together as a church going through the book of Ephesians here on Sunday nights. And then our, our home groups, our small groups are going to kick off and we're going to uh, take the message of Ephesians even deeper uh, in, in those small groups. Uh, but Paul starts with gospel doctrine, the indicatives of what Christ has done for us. The work is finished. Christ suffered and died in our place. And then how now we are to live in response to that. Starts with doctrine and then he goes to duty. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And if you all would stand with me uh, for the reading of God's Word. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And all God's people said, Amen. So I want to start off by pointing out this, this word, therefore, here in the text. Uh, as I often say, when you see the word therefore in Scripture, go back and look before it to see what it's there for. He says, I therefore, brothers, 
by the mercies of God, I, I urge you, I appeal to you, to, to, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So Paul is building off of gospel doctrine that he's already communicated. Christianity is more than just a, a list of moral do's and don'ts. Christianity is based on Jesus Christ and what Christ has done. And the gospel changes everything. The gospel affects our lives and transforms our lives and leads us to a place of surrender. And social media, when I see this truth in Scripture, I often hashtag this, this when I post a verse that, 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 I, that I see as a gospel effect on somebody's life. I hashtag it as gospel effects because I see throughout the New Testament this gospel effect upon the life of Christians, of those who hear and believe the gospel. It, it leads Christians to a place of surrender. Uh, that's what Romans 12.1, Paul's basing his, his exhortation for Christians to surrender all to God, to, to give their whole life, their bodies to God, based on what Christ has done. As Douglas Moo says uh, in his commentary, he says, what God has given us gives way to what we are to give God. So Paul bases this exhortation to surrender all, give your life fully to God based on the reality that Christ has given His life for you and me. So we're in, to respond in that in surrendering all to Christ and following Him. Notice the second part there in verse 1. It says that by the mercies of God, you are to present your bodies as living as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, just notice this throughout Romans, Paul's unpacking the gospel message. And in, in chapter three, verse 24, he he starts he shares about the redemption that we have in Christ, the propitiation for our sins. That's a, a big theological term there. Uh, some of you may not be familiar with that, but that just simply means that, that, that Christ is our propitiation means that he has absorbed the judgment and the wrath that we deserve for our sins. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He took your place and my place. Now, just imagine with me for a moment that you're on death row. And you are about to, to, to be killed because you're guilty of a crime. You're guilty of breaking the law and now you're facing death row for, uh, for your breaking of that law. And somebody steps in that you don't even know and says, wait, stop, I want to die for them. I want to die for Andrew. I want to die for Chad. I want to die for Mike. I want to die for a man. I want to die in their place. Let me take their place. Just imagine that. Imagine how radical that would be if somebody took your place on death row so that you could go free. And that is exactly what Christ has done. Throughout the book of Romans, Paul uses legal language uh, to describe gospel truth, he uses language like justification, condemnation, guilty, innocent, and, and so on. 
And, and so the truth is, is that Jesus has stepped into the courtroom and he's taken our place. The wages of our sin is death. We deserve death, Romans 6.23 says, because of our sin. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He took our place. Imagine how that would change your life and your outlook and, and, and the way that, that you respond to this person who died for you. If you accepted that free gift, that is mercy. That is mercy when, when Christ stepped in and took death row on the cross for you and me, that is the mercy and the love of God on display for us. And so Paul here says, by the mercies of God, I urge you, I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, Christ offering up his body as the perfect sacrifice for our sin meant mercy for us. Thus, we are to present our bodies to God as living sacrifices. It's fitting. It's reasonable. When you consider how merciful God has been towards you and me, it's, it's only right that we give Him our all and offer our lives as a living sacrifice. In Romans 5.1, we have peace with God. Romans 5.8, the love of God despises is on display, is demonstrated for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans, we have deliverance from the wrath of God. Romans uh, 5.17, that we have this gift of righteousness given to us by faith. Uh, Romans 8.1, we're free from condemnation. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We're forgiven. We're free. Romans 8.15 and 16, we have sonship and adoption in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.17, we have this inheritance in Christ. And Romans 24, we have this, this hope now, this hope of redemption, this hope of Jesus coming back and restoring all things. And so consider the mercies of God displayed in the gospel. Consider that. Now, right here in Romans chapter 11, at the end of 11, before Paul goes into Romans chapter 12, Paul breaks out in doxology as he's describing the sovereign mercy of God given. And, and he says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. So Paul's theology leads him into doxology and he praises God for His sovereign mercy. And then he appeals to the church. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifice. So the gospel leads us to surrender all to God. That's my first point here. The gospel leads us to surrender all to God. You know, in Romans 2, verse 4, Paul shared a similar concept where he says, Do you not know that the, that the kindness of God or the goodness of God is meant to lead us to repentance? God's goodness and kindness that He displays towards us is meant to lead us to change our mind and to turn to Him and surrender our lives to Him, to live for Him. The mercies of God 
are, are the basis, are the motivation for us to surrendering all to Jesus. You see, the gospel is not just the ABCs for Christians or new Christians or those that who need to become Christians, but they're the A through Zs for, for, for Christians. If you've been walking with the Lord for, for decades, you still need the gospel. And, and see here in Romans chapter 12, Paul unpacks what a gospel-centered life looks like, what gospel-centered conduct looks like, what a Christ-centered life looks like, how Christians are to behave if they really do believe this gospel message. Paul in Romans chapter 6 already kind of mentions this idea of presenting our bodies to God. He says in Romans 6, 13 and 14, do not present your members as uh, members to sin as instru- instruments of, for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought back from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. John Christum, a church father, says this about this. How and how is the body, it may be said, to become a sacrifice. Let the eye look on no evil thing, and it has become a sacrifice. Let thy tongue speak nothing filthy, and it has become an offering. Let thy hands do no lawless deeds, and it has become a whole burnt offering. You see, all throughout the Old Testament, um, under the law of Moses... There was well, actually even way back to, to, to Genesis and, and with Abel and, and Cain, there's this concept of offering God a sacrifice in worship. Worship involves sacrifice. And in the Old Testament, God would have uh, the Israelites offer up uh, goats and, and lambs and, and doves and, and uh, various kinds of animals as sacrifices and the the new testament says that christ has become that ultimate sacrifice so imagine this for for a moment there you know we had petting zoos uh this past saturday for our community fun day we had a petting zoo uh with some little pigs and, and chickens and and some goats and some ponies and stuff imagine if we took one of those little animals just say one of those little piglets and we put them up here on the altar uh, as a sacrifice, okay, I know we have some, some animal lovers here, and I, I probably shouldn't even be uh, uh, using this illustration. But uh, imagine, though, if we put uh, a little piglet up here on the, on, the, on the altar, what would happen? Would he stay up there? Of course, he would try to run right off of there. And, and, you know, that's one of the things about a living sacrifice is that there's a tendency for living sacrifices to crawl off the altar. And that is our tendency. Don't we just tend to do that? Don't we just tend to say, God, here I am. And then, uh, you know, the next day we're, we're kind of doing our own thing. And so this this concept of presenting our lives as living sacrifice, I don't think this is just a one time deal. I don't think that we just just one time present our lives to God as a living sacrifice. I think this is a daily thing that we are to present our lives to God as living sacrifices. This is worship. This is what 
Paul says this is spiritual worship when you give everything to God. When you surrender your life to God to follow Him, this is your spiritual act of worship. This is reasonable, your reasonable service. It's logical when you consider how merciful and kind the Creator God, the Redeemer, the Creator of the universe, how kind and gracious and merciful He's been towards you. It's just logical for us to surrender our lives to Him. Now just imagine with me for a moment what churches would look like in corporate worship if all those who belong to the churches would come together in in corporate worship after having lived the rest of the week as living sacrifices. Imagine if daily every member in a church was offering their lives up to God as a living sacrifice, as a spiritual act of worship. Just think about what corporate worship would look like on Sundays when the people of God would come together. They would be more passionate in singing and bowing and lifting of their hands. There, there would be more zeal. There would be fervency of spirit when we come together. More eagerness to encourage one another. More eagerness to do the will of God. So the Gospel leads us to a place of surrender. The Gospel sets us apart from the world so that we are not conformed by its mold. Notice verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world. Jesus gave Himself for us to deliver us from this present evil age. Galatians 1.4 says, um, the gospel sets us apart. You know, Jesus prayed for this. In John seventeen seventeen, He said, Father, sanctify them by Your truth. Your Word is truth. And it's specifically the gospel, the, the message of the gospel that, that sanctifies us, that changes us, that transforms us. We believe that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 1.16. That's our, our hope for this community to hear that gospel message and be changed by it. You know, there's the there's a corner store up here where there's drug dealing taking place. There there's a lot of darkness there. And that's one of the things that attracted us to this community was was seeing a need for gospel transformation. And our hope is in the gospel to change these lives here who are up here selling drugs and, and contributing to the the corruption of the neighborhood. We want the gospel to transform their lives and we pray that we would see that. Now what does Paul mean when he says do not be conformed to the world? Is he talking about the the people of the world? Or is he talking about the world system? I think he's talking about the world system here. 1 John Chapter 2, verse 5 describes that. It describes the, the world system's values, the world's values. First John says this, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
Okay, so this is not talking about the people of the world, for God so loved the world, the people of the world, right? That He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen? But this is talking about the world system. Don't be conformed to the world system. You see, I have a, a picture of a fish swimming, swimming upstream here. Because that's exactly what the Christian is to be like. A fish who swims upstream that goes against the stream of the world's current. A, a life that's set apart and sanctified to God. Jesus prayed in John 17 that, that His disciples would not be taken out of the world, but that they would stay in the world, that they would be kept from the evil one in the world. That they would be delivered and kept from the evil one in this world. And so we're to be in the world, but not of the world. We're not to be conformed by its mold. And if you sit in front of a TV for hours a day, or you're scrolling through social media for hours a day, you are likely to be conformed to the world's value systems. If you just feed your soul on, on input from the world. We need to feed our souls on the Word of God, if we're to be transformed and not conformed to this world. So don't let the world form you into its mold. Squeeze you into its mold. Look at the second part of verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, neuroscientists say that we, we think uh, between 30,000 and 70,000 thoughts a day. And so there's, just, there's thousands of thoughts that are going through our mind each day. And there's so many opportunities to be distracted and captivated and to have our thoughts on things that are unworthy to even think about. And, you know, these little phones... And computers, our phones and computers, and uh, these things distract us. And, you know, I don't think a cell phone is, is evil in and of itself. I don't think the Internet or computers are evil in and of themselves. But I believe that we're, we're bombarded with the content through, through social media, through our phones, text message, email, that we get distracted. It's hard for us to... to it's more challenging for us to get our minds renewed, to set our mind on the things above. And yet that's the very means that God uses to transform our lives. The gospel, this is my third point, the gospel powerfully transforms our lives as our minds are renewed by it. The gospel powerfully transforms our lives as our minds are renewed by it and as our hearts believe it. Word that the Greek word that the Apostle Paul use, uses for transformed here is similar to the word that we use uh, concerning a butterfly, the, the, the process we call metamorphosis, uh, metamorphosis uh, from a, a, a butterfly, um, a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly. There's a picture of it there on the screen. This is a command, so this is in the imperative, but yet it's passive. Uh, in, in the Greek language. And so, so what that means is we're, we're demanded by God to be changed. Don't be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed. God demands that. He commands that of us. But yet, 
we can't make that happen in and of ourselves. It is being transformed is a supernatural work that the Spirit of God does in our lives. And He does it through the renewing of our mind. The Holy Spirit helps us and empowers us to set our mind on the things above and to, to take in this Gospel message, believe it and receive it and be changed by it. 2 Corinthians three seventeen and 18 says this, it says, Now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, as are being transformed. Okay, same word there. Transformed into the same image from one degree to, of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So notice here that, that God does the, cha- the transformation by His Spirit. The Spirit of God does it as we behold God, as we look to Him, as we set our gaze on His glory and beauty and majesty. And when you became a Christian, you looked to God, you looked to His Son Jesus Christ, and you put your faith in Him. And you know what? You don't stop doing that as a Christian. You keep looking to Jesus and putting your faith in Jesus. And as you do, you are transformed from one degree of glory to the, to another. Romans 1.17, it says, for the, for the just, the righteous shall live by faith. So the righteous, those who've been declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ and and the gospel message, they're declared right and they keep on living by faith. As Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and He gave Himself for me. So look to Him. So the gospel transforms people's lives. Uh, One one example, powerful example of that, and we got many uh, examples right here of lives who've been transformed by the power of the gospel message. I myself am a life who's, who's been transformed by the power of the gospel message. But one of them um, that I was thinking about is, is a, a guy named Glenn who, uh, who was here Saturday for a community event. I saw him and his wife and his two kids here. And when I look at his life and when I realize and remember uh, what he was doing before he came to Jesus... Glenn used to be strung out on drugs, living behind a 7-Eleven. And uh, he came to Jesus. He heard the gospel. He believed it. His life was changed by the gospel message. And he got radically saved and he got clean from his addictions. And he began memorizing scripture. And, and uh, God has blessed him with a wife and two children. He's now a, a plumber. He has his own plumbing business. He's a master plumber. And, and he even helped us to, to, to do some work on one of the toilets here uh, at the church. And, um, and God's using his life now. Glenn leads the, um, the men's recovery group at our downtown Dallas campus on Thursday nights. And now Glenn is offering to other men the hope of the gospel that he himself experienced. He's transformed. He's a life that's been changed by the power of the gospel message. And now he's giving that out to other people. That is the transformation that the Apostle Paul is talking about. And notice, this is a process. 
You know, there's something supernatural that happens in your heart and your mind and your life when you become a Christian. But there's this ongoing process of being transformed, being changed from from glory to glory. We're, we're being transformed by God. He's working in us. The Holy Spirit's working in our life. And, and we need to actively do our part, which is to, to look to Jesus. All right. We need to. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. We need to meditate on the Word of God. We need to take the Word of God in. Listen. Here's just a couple steps to renewing your mind and being transformed. We need to listen to God's Word. We need to read God's Word. We need to study God's Word. Memorize God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. When I became a Christian, you know, God delivered me out of... Uh, out of addiction and out of just a lot of darkness. And, and one of the things that I started doing when I became a Christian, I, I started devouring the Word of God. I started memorizing verses. I was so excited to memorize truths in Scripture that were, uh, it's like my eyes were open to see the truth of Scripture. And I just started feeding on it. And, and, and before I knew it, some of those things, or a lot of those things that I was doing before I was a Christian I had completely stopped doing. As a matter of fact, when I became a Christian, I quit quit doing drugs. I quit sleeping around and I quit uh, stealing and lying and doing some of those things. But there are other things like like lust and just I needed to be changed. I needed cleansing. I needed transformation. And it was through renewing my mind that I experienced freedom and transformation. And so here, uh, just in closing, I just want to ask you a few questions here. Has the gospel message penetrated your heart? And if it has, then how? What, what does that look like? What's, what's, the, what's the gospel effects on your life? Have you surrendered all to Jesus? And if not, what are you holding on to that He's wanting you to surrender today? Are you allowing the Word of God to dominate, to have the dominant influence over your mind? Or are you allowing the world's values and perspective to shape your thinking and your values? Are you being changed more and more? If so, can you identify spiritual growth over the past year? And how are you going to prioritize your time and resources to reflect a total commitment to God? God demands all of you, and He's worthy of it. He's worthy of all of your life being set apart, surrendered, and devoted to Him. And He's committed to shaping you and transforming you and making you who He's called you to be. Will you surrender your life to Him today? Will you... Trust Him with your life today? Will you look to Him afresh today? Actually, would you just, even right now, would you just, would you just pray with me and, and just ask God, just, God, what's your most pressing issue with me right now? What is it, God, that you're wanting to, to change in my thinking? What is it that habits are you wanting to break and change? What am I holding on to, God, that I need to surrender to you? I trust you, God. I want to close with this benediction from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It says this, 
Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.